Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Have you ever found yourself looking up at the sky? Maybe there's a sense of desperation, maybe even a a shaking of the fist. Have you ever found yourself looking up at the sky and wondering where your help's going to come from? Right? Is there anyone up there? And if so, when do you plan on showing up in my life? You wouldn't be the first definitely wouldn't be the last to to shake your fist at the heavens. There's a beautiful psalm that begins with this painfully human question, Psalm 121, when I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? When my kids are struggling, my parents are aging, my spouse is suffering, my faith is fading, Where does my help come from? If you were with us last week or if you happen to know the story of Naomi and Ruth, you can only imagine that they had a moment like this. When Naomi leaves her family land with her husband and two sons, but then 10 years later comes back empty, right, bitter, comes back with nothing except for her also widowed Moabite daughter-in-law, where does her help come from? Where does their help come from? And so we jump back into their story. We have four beautifully written chapters in the book of Ruth, all of which we are going to read over four weeks. And as we enter the second chapter today, we are keenly aware that Ruth and Naomi have hit rock bottom, right? They are wrecked. Something's got to give. If help doesn't come, it may be the end of their story. Friends, this is the second chapter of Ruth. Now, Naomi had a respected relative, a man of worth, through her husband from the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field so that I may glean among the ears of grains behind someone in whose eyes I might find favor. Naomi replied to her, go, my daughter. So she went. She arrived and she gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the family of Elimelech. And so let us keep our finger in the page, but step outside of the story for a second because we might have bumped up against a new concept, gleaning. Ruth gleaned in the field. What exactly does that mean? What are we talking about here? All right, so what we're talking about is an ancient farming practice established in the book of Leviticus. So from Leviticus 19, we read... When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyards a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. 
Leave them for the poor and the foreigner, for I am the Lord your God. Gleaning, the the practice of allowing the poor, the foreigner, the vulnerable to go into your recently harvested fields and pick up whatever remained. It was a societal expectation, uh, a community service that reflected God's desire for people of means to freely provide for the poor and the marginalized. Who knew the book of Leviticus was so progressive? And this is good news for Ruth and Naomi because they have nothing, like nothing. This is their food bank. Ruth crossed the border and is now about to walk into a stranger's field and start picking up grain. I know that the book of Leviticus says that it's going to be okay. Let's see how the farmers feel about it in real life. Right? I know how this story would end in Texas, but how might it go in Boaz's field? So she went. She arrived and gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. He said to the harvesters, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. Boaz said to his young man, the one who was overseeing the harvesters, to whom does this young woman belong? The young man who was overseeing the harvesters answered, she's a young Moabite woman, the one who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She said, please let me glean so I might gather up some grain from among the bundles behind the harvesters. She arrived and has been on her feet from the morning until now and has sat down for only just a moment. Boaz said to Ruth, You need to know this, my daughter. Don't go glean in another field. Don't go anywhere else. Instead, stay here among my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and go along after them. I ordered my young men not to assault you. Whenever you are thirsty, go to the jugs from from what the young men have filled. Because you see, despite what the book of Leviticus said, Boaz knows what could happen to a young foreign girl if she started gleaning in the wrong field. He sees Ruth and understands her extreme vulnerability. He tells her to stay close, to gather the food she needs in his field, and, and he tells his young men not to assault her. And yes, that's intentionally provocative. It's supposed to shock us that he would need to tell his young men to to keep their hands to themselves. And yet, if you were with us in the fall and had recently read the book of Judges, it's not all that surprising. Boaz says to Ruth, keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and go along after them. I've ordered the young men not to assault you. Whenever you are thirsty, go to the jugs and drink from what the young men have filled. Then Ruth bowed down face to the ground and replied to him, how is it that I found favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz responded to her, everything you did for your mother-in-law after your husband's death has been reported fully to me. How you left behind your father, your mother, 
the land of your birth and, and came to a people you hadn't known before. May the Lord report, reward you for your deed. May you receive a rich reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've now come to seek refuge. She said, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, sir, because you've comforted me and because you've spoken kindly to your female servant, even though I'm not one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, eat some of the bread and dip your piece in the vinegar. She sat alongside the harvesters and, and they served her roasted grain. She ate was satisfied, and even had leftovers. Then she got up to glean. Boaz ordered his young men, let her glean between the bundles and don't humiliate her. Also, pull out some from the bales for her and leave them behind for her to glean and, and don't scold her. Friends, this is no longer gleaning. Boaz has moved to letting her, move from letting her pick up scraps to something else, something more powerful. You see, there's actually more to read in this subversively progressive book of Leviticus. Check this out, as it can also be found in Leviticus 19. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your own native born. Love them as you love yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Love them as you love yourself. Love foreigners as you love yourself. I don't know about you, but I don't hear that verse read very often. All right, we love quoting, love your neighbor as yourself, which by the way, comes from the very same chapter in Leviticus. Love foreigners as you love yourself, love neighbor as you love yourself are literally recorded in the very same chapter and yet one has become the golden rule while the other is almost never read in church. Let's let that settle in for a moment. Apparently there's been a little preferential treatment given to neighbors over and above foreigners. Same chapter, same book, same divine command to love and all this matters because Ruth's not only a poor widow, she's a poor Midianite widow. AK, she's not from around these parts. But thank God Boaz knows both verses. He's fully shifted from simple gleaning to love. I mean, he's straight up letting her walk through his field of unharvested grain and take as much as she wants. He's even paying his harvesters to leave clean grain behind so she doesn't have to work so hard. Friends, this is radical generosity on so many levels. And, and I want to keep going on this point a little. For those who were with us last week, do you remember uh, what drove Naomi and her family to leave the promised land? What tragedy triggered this whole story? Anyone? It was a famine. A famine so great that her husband and her and their two young kids were forced to flee their ancestral land or else they would have died of starvation in their place. 
For the record, famines don't happen after one bad crop. They're one bad crop after another, after another, and another. It's burning through your reserve seed and eventually being forced to make the decision, do I plant my remaining seed or do I feed my children? Boaz has just made it through 10 years of famine. In very recent memory, he had to make those impossible decisions. His relatives, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, they didn't make it through the famine. And yet he's letting a foreign widow take as much as she wants. Boaz is different. Not only does he know the book of Leviticus, he lives it. We all know how easy it is to be generous when the cash is flowing. But radical generosity on the heels of scarcity, on the heels of uncertainty, that's something else. That's on a whole different level. Boaz is fully embracing his responsibility at the one that God has placed on him. All right, back to the story. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed what she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to jump out of the story one more time to drive home a point. An ephah of barley was approximately no one has a clue, right? Really. No one knows. You can Google it, and you'll likely find anything from 8 pounds to 60 pounds. People seem to really like 35 pounds. The point is... It's a lot. Even at only eight pounds, she left her single day of gleaning with nearly 40 servings of barley. Boaz wasn't giving her the minimum amount to survive. He was setting her up. He's trying to set her and her mother-in-law up for future success. And Naomi took notice. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she thrust what she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and went into town. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out the leftovers after eating and and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? May the one who noticed you be blessed. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi replied to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, right, who hasn't abandoned his faithfulness with the living or with the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is one of our closest relatives. He's one of our redeemers. More on that to come next week. Ruth, the Moabite, replied, Furthermore, he said to me, Stay with my workers until they finished all of my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go with his young women so that men don't assault you in the field. It's genuinely frightening how openly they talk about being assaulted in the fields. Thus Ruth stayed with Boaz's young women, gleaning until the completion of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when I lift my eyes to the mountains, 
Where does my help come from? When Ruth is thrown a brutal She finds herself a widow without a cent to her name and a mother-in-law to take care of. Where does her help come from? The ancient poem, Psalm 121, answers it like this. When I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over you, your coming and going, both now and forevermore. It's a beautifully poetic response to a painfully human question. When I lift my eyes to the heavens, where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But here's the deal. In the second chapter of Ruth, we do not see the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, stepping in and miraculously providing for these two widows, right? That's not the way the story plays out. Instead, we see a societal safety net, a structural setup, a divinely sanctioned social service, you could call it, in which local farmers and business owners intentionally leave behind some of their profit margins so that the vulnerable won't fall through the cracks. And it worked. It really worked. Ruth's life situation gets better. And I think one of the many challenges for us is that the world has, has neglected such structural setups for so long that, that poverty and hunger have become overwhelming. We've emphasized the love of neighbor and have built some amazing neighborhoods, but sometimes at the expense of loving foreigners feeding the poor, and protecting the vulnerable. Truthfully, there's no way around it. The earth produces enough barley and grain for everyone, everyone, everyone to be properly nourished day in and day out, and yet 800 million people face starvation and hunger day in and day out. When the hungry look up to the mountains... Where does their help come from? The idea of waiting on the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, to come down and magically make things right, I think it's ludicrous. It's not how it works in the book of Ruth. It's not how it works in the rest of the Bible. It's certainly not how it works in our world. This morning in the story, we experienced the love of God through the gleaning practices of a community and the radical generosity of Boaz. So where is God in our world? Where is God in our church? God can be found in the feeding of the hungry, the care of the vulnerable, the protection of, of those who have to fear being assaulted in broad daylight. 
Yes, their help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and as the, the body of Christ, the carriers of spirit, the hands and feet of God, we've got a lot of helping to do. And so what would it look like for, for your family to pull a Boaz this week? What would it look like for your family to jump into a vulnerable situation and provide radically? Yeah, we're not going to fix everything. We're not going to solve world hunger or poverty. But what would it look like for your family to send someone on their way with 40 servings of barley? What would it look like for your business to pull a Boaz? What would it look like for you to call up your accountants and instruct them to leave a little profit behind for those in need? And maybe more so, what would it look like for a church to pull a Boaz? For a church to face uncertainty without turning inward, to be fully aware that there might not be enough for all of their wants and yet still provide for the poor. What, what would it look like for our church to pull a Boaz? For starters, it looks like a group from this church heading to Humble Park tonight at 6.30 p.m. to serve food to the chronically homeless and hungry. Looks like our children downstairs right now talking about food insecurity and writing little notes that will accompany those meals later tonight. Looks like people who will be dropping food off at the church this week so that another group can serve dinner at Lazarus House Friday night our local homeless shelter. It looks like our good neighbor team who's helping a Syrian refugee prepare for surgery and his family prepare for the limited income and groceries that will just naturally result. And friends, it looks an awful lot like setting aside resources for the work of mission and justice when things are tight. This, my friends, is all, all the things that we strive to do at CUCC. As many of you know, we've created a setup, right? A structural setup in which it doesn't matter whether it's a great harvest or a thin one, there'll always be 10% of our grain left for those in need. It's just a start. Of course, it's not going to solve global issues of hunger and poverty, but I got to tell you, there's nothing more inspiring to me and my family than a, than a community living out their faith. Right? Show me a people that can quote the Bible, and, and I'll be impressed. Show me a people that, that live it out, and I'll walk with them to the end of the world. What would it look like for, for us all to pull a Boaz? I told you the book of Ruth was amazing. This was the longest of the four chapters. <laughs> it's got something to say to us and our world and I pray that God would help us hear it and maybe more so live it. Amen.